When we go out to eat, we never agree on where to go. I want burgers! Pizza! Tacos it is. The one thing we do agree on is, we all want unlimited high-speed data. That's why we switch to MetroPCS. Stop by MetroPCS with the whole family and get four lines with unlimited LTE data for just $100, period. MetroPCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Requires new line. During congestion, the fraction of customers using more than 35 gigs per month may notice reduced speeds. Video streams at up to 40p. No tethering. See store for details and terms and conditions. The gun is good. I did not hit her. It's not true. It's bullshit. I did not hit her. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. Who are you? I'm your brother. But I am now one dummy. They're eating her. And then they're going to eat me. Because all you of Earth are idiots. Everything is as you order. I promise you. Damn, look like my women is on time. Save I could show warm you up. No shit, baby. No! Yes. To be like the human. Hey, man, we've spoken while I'm eating. You don't have to die! Well, no one has to die at 30! You can live! Live! Oh, man! Oh, God! 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 With our usual gang of uh, victims, as we delve into the wonderful world of cheesy cinema. Uh, with me here is uh, Kinte. Say hello, Kinte. Hey, what's up? What's up? We have Jen back from last week. She survived the Omega Man. Hey, super excited about this one. Oh, excellent. And, and also we have Yardley here. Hey, I'm happy to be here, and as everyone else, I'm very excited to talk about it. So, what we are discussing this week is the 1985 um, uh, docudrama of true events that happened on July 3rd, 1984, <laughs> Return of the Living Dead. A, uh, un a slightly tied to the uh, Living Dead franchise by George Romero, but not quite. Um, written originally by uh, John Russo, who was one of the writers of the original Living Dead, uh, Night of the Living Dead, had the rights to the term Living Dead and used that to create his own film. Um, brought in director uh, Dan O'Bannon, who decided to rewrite the screenplay because he thought it was just a little too serious, and brought in uh, basically a whole new way of looking at zombies 
um, because basically he knew he couldn't compete against uh, the recently shot uh, and, well, from 1979, five, six years earlier, Dawn of the Dead. So, uh, brief summary. Uh, a a uh, medical supply company has hired a new uh, intern or to work with uh, in the warehouse. He is told about the specific bunch of barrels that are hidden away inside the basement sure not to be uh, part of a medical experiment done by the army that were accidentally shipped to this place uh, drums accidentally leak letting out a chemical which brings the dead back to life and of course the usual horrific stuff happens uh, as we follow both the characters inside the medical supply center as well as uh, friends of the intern a bunch of punks and new wavers harmoniously together as they battle zombies through a night of terror. I think that basically sums up the film, does it not? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much, right. This also, uh, this film also brings you uh, the very first time that uh, the whole idea that zombies eat brains. This is the film that did it. They never shouted brains or said anything, really, in the earlier Romero films. Um, this is the one. Anyone time you hear something about zombies eating brains, it came from this film. Also, the first running zombies as well. People want to say that the remake of uh, Dawn of the Dead had the first running zombies. Nope. This film had it first. So let's go around the table and see what our impressions are of Return of the Living Dead. You want to start, Jen? Well, first of all, I'll give a little bit of how I watched this movie. I actually watched it with, I've seen it before, but I watched it again with my uh, two older kids who had never seen it before. And they were blown away. They thought it was amazing. Not amazing like, oh my gosh, this is the next big thing amazing like where has this gem been all of our lives and part of the reason as we were talking back and forth that we decided that we liked it so much is because the there is this specific trope to the 80s which i think this movie hits every single one of and for that reason alone it was awesome but it was also campy and fun and 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 at sometimes actually uh, quite a bit terrifying. So my overall impression is I loved it. Hey, you know what? Definitely, I I have to actually <laughs> I totally agree with you, Jen. You know something else that was kind of cool is I think that um, this was probably the first movie that I ever saw where the undead or a zombie actually gave you the rationale behind why they were doing what they were doing the zombie gave you the rationale behind that. So I thought that that was pretty cool. And I was going into my teenage years in the eighties. So this was right up my alley. Cause you know, you had this and lost boys and a lot of other things that were going on at the time. And I think I mentioned to Jen and Kente recently that this was probably my favorite horror movie because it had some darkness to it, but it had the right amount of cheese. Um, you know, it's funny. Uh, this film I saw when I was really young like you know my teenage years and i remember just you know laughing at the sheer uh comedy of it you know and it was funny because i hadn't seen it uh 
probably since then, since maybe seen it a couple times when I was coming up. I think I remember the second one probably a little bit more than the first one. Uh, and then rewatching it last night, I'm sitting there dying laughing at how silly <laughs> the everything is in there. And then to find out that the uh, the the writer of that wrote like Total Recall, the movie, <laughs> and uh, some other really good stuff. I was like, oh wow, you know, that's, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, the thing is, um, I remember the first time I saw this film uh, was on video, uh, VHS. We had just finished watching, I'd just gotten into watching the uh, Dawn of the Dead on, on VHS, and I was showing it to my friends, and we were all getting into that whole zombie thing way back in the 80s, and this had come out, I think it was 86, 80s, yeah, probably 86 when it was on video, usually about six months after theatrical release. And so we got it, and we didn't know what we had. So, because we didn't see any of the advertisements around the time, because this also came out the same time as uh, Day of the Dead. So there was some confusion in the theaters of what they were seeing. Are they seeing a Romero film or not, right? And because both the films were out almost at the same time that summer. So we're watching it, and you're watching the, the opening where they're talking and he's showing them all the stuff. And it's like, okay, this is looking pretty serious. And he starts talking away about, you know, have you seen? Have you heard about the movie Night of the Living Dead? He's do, telling the story, and it's getting kind of creepy. And at first, I'm thinking, "Oh my gosh, this is you know, this has got a nice creepy atmosphere." And then everything starts happening, and all of a sudden, you realize as they're you know hitting the split dog with the, with the crutch and everything, I'm going, "Okay, this is not what I think it is. This is not gonna. It's not as scary as I thought it was going to be." And we end up just enjoying the hell out of it anyway, because at first I was disappointed. But this is kind of silly, but then I, you start to get into it, and it's the performances that just drag you right into it, and all the silly little things. And then all of a sudden you start noticing things in the background that they kind of like threw little Easter eggs here and there um, that catch you off guard. You go, "Okay, you know, this is this movie's definitely winking at us through the whole thing." And of course, later on when you you know, find out who Dan O'Bannon is and his style of filmmaking and the history of him. Like, yes, he was the guy that had the, you know, the screenplay for the original Alien, but that wasn't his script that went up on the screen in the end. Um, his was probably more, probably more in the style that you're looking at uh, for Return of the Living Dead, that kind of like tongue and firmly planted in cheek kind of goofy sci-fi thing. But, you know, smarter heads got a hold of it and decided, hey, we could actually make this higher budget and make it scary. But this film, um, you know, does a lot with its budget, some great visual effects, and it's just a fun film. Um, one of my favorite sight gags is uh, in the background while they're talking, and what should have been the giveaway is there's an eye chart which says, you know, Bert is a slave driver blah 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 bastard blah 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 and it's about the guy who runs the shop <laughs> and and it's just sitting there as an eye chart so you're like and it's, it, they don't bring any attention to it they don't click but if you look in the background there it is and you can start reading it and then of course you know the whole idea that you know you suddenly realize when two of the main characters names are Bert and Ernie you go oh wait a minute okay I can't take this film too seriously now yeah uh, um one thing too, uh, just uh, I don't know if you go. You had a young Miguel Nunez in there. Uh, some people may remember him from uh, the movie Joanna Man and the other films. <laughs> yeah, man, Spider Man, Spider. Yeah, yeah. and uh, also he was in the Friday Thirteenth, I believe. I believe he has the distinction of being the first 
black person killed by Jason in a Friday Thirteenth, if I remember. Correctly. He was also in. Um, I remember him in a, um, a CBS series about Vietnam, and I cannot remember the name of it, but he was one of the main characters, and it was a series, and he played a you know, soldier in Vietnam. And so, and I saw that after, and I'm going, "Hey, that's the guy from Return of the Living Dead. Awesome!" Mm-hmm. And like, so I mean, yeah, there's um, like all of the actors in this. Like, there's some some of them never went anywhere uh, as far as acting went after that. Some that they were winding down their careers. I mean, you're, the main uh, three uh, older gentlemen there, um, uh, the one who plays. Uh, Bert is a clue. Uh, oh my God! I can't remember his name. Coogler or something like that. Yes, and he was well known for doing westerns and stuff like that. So if you looked at his, uh, you know, repertoire, he was like a you know a heavy in westerns and did a bunch of stuff like that. And and then he comes in and does this kind of film, and it was like basically going, okay, here's a paycheck. Where else are you going to work now? And he does. He just knocks it out of the park. He plays a great character, and I, I, I love him. This. Uh, you know what I remember him from? Uh, Sorry, this is going to kind of be a strange thing. I remember him from. Uh, there was this show called uh, um, Project Greenlight that Matt Damon and uh, and Ben Affleck produced, where it was like a contest, a reality show um, to make a movie, independent filmmaker, and his son had won the right to be on there, and they made yeah. a. Uh, yeah, it was. It was actually pretty good. It was. They made this movie called Feast. The movie was terrible, but the actual yes. show was really good. And he was and he was in his son's uh, movie helping him out. So yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so. I mean, he was in the Last Picture Show, um, you know, and and films like that. So it's like, so you know, he had a he had some great films and he had some really cheeseball films. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, you look at it and you go, you look at some of the stuff he's done. It's like, okay, that was the moment. You know, here's your chance here to do a, a, a last film, and then he does a couple other films after that. You know, um, he did Piranha 3D. He did. Um, uh, I'm gonna get. You. He was in. A, I'm gonna get you, sucker. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was a Wayne Brothers film, if I remember oh, correctly. Oh yeah, that's a classic. Yeah, yeah, and so he, so he, you know, he basically knew. Okay, you know what? I'm gonna have some fun. In the last parts of my year, he's still alive and, and, too. By the way, yeah, he is. He is. He's almost. But he hasn't been doing much. He a, is eighty-nine years old. Yeah. Now James Karen, uh, I believe he's has he passed on or is he still? Uh, I don't know if he's still working or not, or if he's still uh, around. No, he's or not. ninety-four years old. He's still alive. So James is still alive too, and he's done a lot of stuff. And he played heavies a lot too, and everything. But he plays. Uh, you know, I love him. Uh, Great actor. When he's, oh yeah, and he he's the one I think in this film that gives away that yes, this is not a serious film because he is so over the top with his reactions, but it works. Like you know the whole thing about the skeleton farm and the, the screaming and the carrying on. I think you know, he was having a good time. Is it oh, yeah, he was having a great time. He was, like, he was having a wonderful time doing the movie. Like this was not a chore for him because he was. Hamming it up, boy. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh my god. I mean, but but it was but both him and, and uh, the, the guy playing Tommy, or no, Tommy played Freddie. Tommy, the actor's name. He played Tommy in um, Friday the Thirteenth. Tommy, was, yeah. Uh, part seven. He played the older Tommy, who you know brings Jason back to life after Tommy younger Jarvis. Tommy killed him. But um, those two worked really well together, so well that they made the mistake of. 
casting them together again in the sequel, which um, does not work as well because the sequel is once again it's doing the comedy thing, but it so knows it's a comedy and so acts like a comedy that it doesn't work. Like this one is definitely got some funny weird moments, but it plays it straight, even though it's broad. It's just like it's a weird mix. Mm-hmm. So and that's what works for this one. Like the other one, I mean, uh, you know the the Michael Jackson cameo death in in part two is like uh, okay, you're you, now you're you, you think you're airplane, you're not airplane. You don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, now this, the other, uh, like I said, all the actors are, are, are fun in this, but um, the other one, Don Kaffa, uh, who plays Ernie is a great he's a weird eccentric performer he's the mortician uh, across the street who you know they they call on to help by disposing of the body parts and of course if you're watching carefully you notice there's something a little off about this guy like he's got a lot of world war ii german stuff lying around in his uh, office there's a picture of eva braun in the background there's a <laughs> He's got a Luger. He's listening to a German um, army song, uh, marching over the river of blood or something like that, when you he was first introduced. And there's this whole weird thing about he's got the leather jacket from the Gestapo and everything. So you're going, okay, there's something a little wrong. Like, is this guy escaped? Is an escaped German, you know, uh, <laughs> person here? And, and he's just, and there's no reason for it. But it's all there, and these are the little Easter eggs you see. Um, you know like what I? The, you know what I remember him from the most, though. I mean, that? obviously this movie, but um, he was in uh, Weekend at Bernie's. He was one of the hitmen. <laughs> yes, remember. yes, he was the main hitman that was trying. To kill yeah, him. that's right. Yeah, I forgot right. all about that. Wow. <laughs> yep, yep. Because he in this movie he's like got his hair all blonded up and everything, and, but yeah, he was in this. He was in. A, let's see. I'm trying to think of some other weird ones. He was in Ten. He, he was in, um, oh, jeez. Oh, man. Running yeah, Scared. Yeah, Running Scared. That was a good one. Yeah. yeah. Let's see. Let me look him up. Uh, he is deceased. He is now deceased. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He died two, year, two years ago, uh, 2016. Oh, so, okay. So there you go. Yeah. His lowest rating movie was Nickelodeon, 1976. Oh. Highest rating, Return of the Living Dead, 1985. The ninety-one percent fresh on the Rotten Tomato score. He, yeah, he got two of the some of the best movies about dead people: in <laughs> Weekend at Bernie's and uh, <laughs> Return of the Living Dead. <laughs> and in both cases, he can't kill them. Right. You know I, the, the the scene though. Someone explained to me uh, if I'm working at a place and they told me that there's some dead bodies in a canister downstairs, you want to go take a look at it. Who the fuck says yes? Is that you town that boring? More curiosity. I Is mean, it... I would have said yes. Really? Oh yeah. man! I mean, think how it all started. He says, "What's the weirdest thing you ever saw?" Because he's like, he's working in the place. He's already seen the split dogs. He's seen the skeletons. Heard about the perfect teeth and the guy saying there's a skeleton farm. He's seen all this weird stuff. He's seen the cadaver and the thing. And he says, "What's the weirdest thing you saw?" And he says, 
Yeah, the weirdest thing we got is sitting in the basement. We want to take a look. Of course he's going to go take a look. Hell to the you no. Know, I ain't going down there. I, I, I must be. Uh, I guess it'll just be me and Jen saying, yeah. oh, you remember 1995? <laughs> we went down in that basement and saw that. <laughs> <laughs> Drinking and, you know what I'm saying? That'll be a great story. Mm-hmm. You, know, I'm good. you know, it's funny because this movie... Uh, this movie definitely sets up. It's, it reminded me, in fact, when I watched it the second time, of uh, uh, Dan Aykroyd sitting in the Twilight Zone saying, "Do you want to see something really scary?" It's <laughs> it, it's that setup that you know. Let's tell a scary story around the campfire that makes this whole thing so entertaining because yep. they, because they become sort of a part of their campfire story in the worst possible way, though. Well, of course, but, you know, I always look at stories from sort of like where the hero journey is inside of it. And in this one, it's so funny because all of the archetype and all of the the major tropes that sort of go on character wise, they're all going on externally with all the kids. They're not happening to the main protagonists who then end up becoming the people that you're scared of the most. Well, yeah, because, yeah, what you didn't know was they were already dead. Exactly. Which, you know, which was a great thing where they were setting up because you could see it right from the second that the credits are finished and they get up again. You can see there's something a little off with them. They're a little paler and everything. And they keep changing their makeup as it's going along. You're realizing there's something not quite right with them. And it was like, okay, we're going to hint that. Um, And this movie does a lot of things. There's some clever things. It does a Chekhov gun thing that it does constantly over and over again, even though the time has already passed. And it's the third stare. If you uh, go back and watch the film again, see how many times people warn somebody about the third stare going to the basement, even after someone's already fallen through it, that it's become the problem that it was going to be. It still comes up in conversations. I'm going, either that's intentional or actors are trying to warn people, watch out for that third stare because it's busted now. But it's the weirdest thing, because normally in a film, right, you go, oh, watch out for the third stare, or they'll say, look out for this thing, and then you know, okay, you've pointed it out, now I'm going to watch for that later in the film to have some sort of important thing. And in this case, the important thing was that, you know, it was it buckled and trapped Tina so that the tar man would get her. And, and then, but, so normally that would be it. But in this film, for some reason, they kept talking about this damn third stare over and over and over again, like every time they went down the stairs, there are about seven. I think I counted six six times those stairs were mentioned. Mm. It's the weirdest thing. It's it's a small thing, but it's one of those weird things that this film does. It does these weird little things on conventions. It takes conventions and twists them a little and and overplays them sometimes just for the effect. Um, like they did a couple of Hitchcock shots intentionally. Um, the first time. All right, well, let's let's take it back a bit. I'm, you have to excuse me. I'm on medication today, so I'm a little bit scattered here. So, but what I was going to say is the, um, yeah. So you've got these Hitchcock shots they're doing. So they're doing these well done shots, but they're out of place in sometimes. And they go like, "Why did you do that?" And it's like it's it's a weird thing that Banyan's doing. He's, but he's, I think he does it because he's trying to wink through this whole movie. He's like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm going to do this because it looks cool." It's not really, you know, it's not used the same way, but it's like, for example, the first time she sees the tar man and you see the background, you know, that kind of zoom with the dolly zoom where she stays in focus 
and the background kind of shifts away from her. Mm -hmm. So, and the second time where the first time you see the cadavers banging at the door, they do that quick three cut to the door, boom, 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 you know, the, the jump cuts to the door. And he's doing these kind of like over the top things. And then it's like, oh, you try to set it up to make it more than what it was, which was great. And it plays up the comedy and sometimes when he does it. Uh, let's talk about the Tar Man. Uh, and the Tar Man yes. actually later on in the show, uh, because the Jen will will rear his, uh, uh, his his now severed head. Uh, <laughs> but um, uh, the Tar Man, uh, which is, uh, you know, is so funny. Dude, dude is so funny. I love the yep. scene where after he, you know, bites the asshole uh, punk dude. and then Suicide, yes. Right, and he looks up, and he goes, "More brains." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and you know what? And that I think that's that is the most effective in all of the things. Like you know, there's some really neat effects, but that makeup effect combined with the actor who was playing mm -hmm. uh, is a great, unique kind of zombie. The way he kind of slides around as he's walking. And he looks yeah. like he's about to fall apart. He's just this gooey, drippy mess. <laughs> but and he's they got a skinny guy, obviously, because you know it doesn't look like a guy wearing a suit, which <laughs> was what it was. And, he's and it's like, like ugly as fuck too, by the way. Oh yeah, but it, he, yeah, he looks like he has chocolate dripping down from him or something. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it's, but uh, the weird thing I find is because um, I don't know if you've seen the other versions like there have been a lot of changes in this film in its uh home um releases mm -hmm. for example the tar man's voice is actually was a lot higher pitched in the original releases like it, like i have a dvd copy of and i also have the blu-ray copy and they're both kind of low sounding you know blah, blah, and he didn't sound like that he i think if you watch the end credits you can actually still hear the original audio that was on it. And he had this weird or higher pitch voice, which was actually funnier. So when he said more brains, it was actually funnier sounding because it's like more brains as a, you know, um, the same with the couple of the, uh, hero zombies, like the one who calls, you know, send more cops. That's hilarious. Yeah. I love so that. in the DVD version, it's, he's got a lower voice. He's wearing a Confederate uniform. And I guess that's why, because I'm going, okay, he's, but you listen to the original voice of the actor, and he sounds like he's from Brooklyn. Send more cops. And it's like, okay, that's kind of jarring, but it's funny as all hell. You know, send more paramedics. It's like takeout for zombies. It was great. I loved it. I love you. But, know, I love how I love though how they uh, how they game tackle people. You know, it's yeah, like I think the extras were a little bit too enthusiastic a couple times. Yeah. A couple times watching that one paramedic getting tackled, and it goes flying. And I'm going, that guy got hurt. There's no uh -huh. way he did not get hurt when they slammed into him like that. That was like a full on football tackle. Like when you when you watch movies like this, do do you guys put yourself in the victim situation and like how would you what would you do right? Because you have like a split second. And all those guys are coming at you, and you got a little pistol, so obviously that ain't gonna take out all of them. <laughs> so, like, you ever think about like, okay, would it, like, how the hell would I try to get out of this? Am I gonna find a? Am I gonna try to find some daylight, or you know, or what? You know, 
<laughs> all you could do is run in that in these movies in this movie yeah. and it's like it's not like the romero films right it's like they're not shambling after you they're running full tilt after you so you've got little time yeah. to think there's nothing you can do about it yeah and that's, there's a that's lot go low you gotta go low <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you just gotta and hope well, for the best. <laughs> well, well, can tell you the other day when we were talking, and you were saying that you had to, you know, had to watch it, and then you mentioned today on the sh- on the show that you hadn't seen it um, in ages. You remember when you I and I and Jen were speaking, and I was talking about that being my favorite zombie mm-hmm. of all time. It was just mainly um, since it's fresh in your mind. Uh, it was just mainly it was the uh, the physical aspect of it, which I think made it a super creepy zombie for me. Right. And um, just like you mentioned, it being slimy right. <laughs> made it worse. So just you know, to this day, this is my favorite zombie that's ever been. Oh yeah, you know, designed it just hands down. I just thought that it really, it really worked, and I and I hate that it uh, went out <laughs> the way it did. I know. <laughs> just a baseball to the head. Yeah, just a yeah. baseball bat to the head. That's but it. you know what? But did y'all think that it was cool that we got a little bit of that zombie, then it went away from a while, and everybody was doing yeah. their own thing, and then, of course, it came back and killed, um, was it suicide? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I actually thought, because I had, mind you, I didn't remember it like that, because it's been so long. So I actually thought that he was going to be, like, present through the whole movie, you know, like, you would see him quite a bit. And then I was like, I was like, oh, because I don't know, I remembered him. But I, I, I guess I remembered him more, you know, being uh, throughout the movie. And then yeah. when he was barely in it, I was like, oh, I, I thought he was going to be more. Because he's like the first one, basically. You know, yep. he's the. Well, yeah. He's, he's, uh, the, he's, he's the, the outbreak monkey. Container. He's the outbreak monkey, basically. Yep. But the, hey. the thing is, they used him right. I mean, they locked him in there, and then you didn't think about it until they go, oh, you can't go down there. There's something all black and slimy and shit. It's like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to have to open him up and let him out. Did any of you know about the novelization where they were kind of mentioning that uh, some of that, some of the containers, because I think that's like the basement of the VA or something um, that they found the containers in that had that zombie. But they were saying in the novelization that it had something to do like the KGB and the reason why those things were down there. There was like a Russian connection. Did y'all ever read or hear anything about that? No, no. That's interesting. Yeah, that's a... I'm going to do a little bit more research, and uh, when I find that information, I'll definitely forward it to you, but I found it interesting that there was that aspect about it uh, that well, was actually written in canon. Well, you <laughs> know, it, it's funny because it, it that totally makes sense, Yardley. At the, at the time that this was released, the biggest threat to us all was really uh, sort of the, the, the Cold War <laughs> aspect of everything. And I have to say that one of the most disturbing scenes, you know, everything else aside with the zombies and stuff, one of the most disturbing scenes is at the very end with the bomb. Yes. And and I mean, that was actually, I actually remember being slightly terrified by that. Forget the zombies, okay? I mean, you know, not that they're not a threat too, but it was the the ease with which they called in that military bombing and all of a sudden... (laughs) everybody was gone that was terrifying <laughs> well that not only I, I was like you know this is the one movie especially early in the days when one of the tropes was like the black person dies first when the black person survives the undead and gets blown up by the government <laughs> hey, but don't forget it was another black guy that was operating that machine so oh that's, that's right that's so true. you know 
I don't know how you want to read that, but it's okay. <laughs> Working for the man. <laughs> hey, blow, but, yeah. blow up is still blow up, whether it's a black hand on the fan, on the button or not. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, dead is dead. Well, right. not to the zombies. Not in this but, movie. Yeah. But I mean, uh, I'm kind of happy that you did bring that up, Jen, about being disturbed, because that's that was the main reason why I said that the movie got kind of grim at the end, because you're like, wow, you know, at the, it, it, you know, it definitely got caught me off guard a little bit too. I was like, man, you know, that's just kind of. It's kind of messed up, but that—that's what makes it so, um, so good of a cheesy film. Is just the fact well, that right, because it's, it, all the way through it, you got that. Well, the thing is, too, it's—it's it's, 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 it's totally cheesy all the way through, right? I mean, there's just you know, there's endless laughs, there's endless sort of you know, the the movie basically poking a stick at itself. But then there's that end sort of sequence where it's super serious, and you kind of get shifted back into the real world with a real looking kind of person from that era and his wife and and all of a sudden there's it's like a weird shift in reality almost in the movie where it goes from being the super sublime to being oh wait a minute this could be real that's what was so jarring well the thing is i mean the ending fit the film perfectly because this film was basically it was a punk zombie film and the thing about punk especially in that day was it's nihilistic that there is no meaning everything comes to an end everything dies and everything and so this movie was set up there was no way that you could kill the dead right if you think about it how, how could you there was no way that any of those people were ever going to get out of that situation because there's no way you could incapacitate hundreds of these people when they're completely fully functional and running around and in large numbers and they're taking out police and everything there's nothing that anyone could do to get themselves out of that situation so the ending may have been, okay, yeah, the government's decision is basically just nuke the whole spot and that'll prevent uh, further spreading, not realizing that it actually spreads it even further. I mean, the ending is actually them talking about how the president's going to be going into Louisville the next day. <laughs> so, so, you know, that would have been the sequel I really wanted to see. You know, the president and his group <laughs> fighting off zombies. So that would have been Reagan in that time, too. Oh, that would have been great. Ronald Reagan and his group fighting zombies. But that's the thing. It's it's a it's a very punk film in that way. So the, the whole idea is that everything is nihilistic. Um, but it never took itself that seriously, too, because, I mean, I'm thinking about the scene where Suicide's standing there in the, uh, the uh, graveyard going, do you think this is a costume? This is a way of life. This and through that entire... Life. <laughs> and that entire scene, uh, Leon Quigley's sitting there rubbing up and down on him and everything. And he ends and he just looks and goes, slaps her aside, have some fucking respect for the dead. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, okay, you can't take it seriously. They want to pretend to take it seriously, but they can't. And one thing has to be said, the punks in this thing are a very strange, eclectic group. I mean, I, I grew up in the 80s. I, I knew some people that dressed, you know, in, in those ways and from different groups. And you would never have found any of that entire group together the way they were. I mean. But isn't, but isn't, <clears throat> sorry, but wasn't that the point? Wasn't the point of, uh, of the kids supposed to be, you know, like I said, uh, imagine that this was sort of a cabin in the woods kind of a thing right where you know you've got uh you've got every single one of the main tropes going on the nerdy kind of guy the yep. jock kind of guy and and 
the to me the I think the sort of well there the, was no jock kind of guy. Well, there was the strong kind of guy. You're right. You're right. Because yeah, there, there was the punks and then there was the new waivers because that would be Chuck, the guy with the bowl cut sort of thing. You had your two punks. You had um, Casey, which I don't know what she was supposed to be. Then you had Tina, who was just like almost like valley girl, kind of preppy girl. She didn't fit with any of them. Like, could you believe, like, why had her and Freddie a boyfriend girlfriend? Because Freddie was also, he was sort of a pseudo punk type with the way he but dressed it, and everything. So, so wasn't Casey, wasn't she supposed to be sort of like the, uh, the classic, um, uh, what's a good word for Casey? Uh, not, well, Wave? not the virgin, but sort of in that role, like, you know, the super oh, you innocent mean, one. You're talking about Tina. Oh, I'm talking about Tina. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah got the names mixed K- up. Casey is the one that uh, Suicide called Ball Buster. That's right. That's right. That's right. She's, she's <laughs> right. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it was weird because it was sort of like a, I don't know, it's sort of a poor man's breakfast club, maybe. But with oh, zombies. That's a, good way. that's a good way to describe that. So they they all learned a lesson and then died. But yeah, because you, as you saw, they're trying. Oh, they're they're coming across their feelings at the at the wrong time. Can can we uh, give a shout out though to eighties uh, uh, gratuitous uh, nudity in yes. movies? Because uh, <laughs> like I love the 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 naked chick in the uh, cemetery, and uh, you know then she becomes a naked. Zombie, basically, you know, yep. going. That well, is hilarious to me. Well, she was, um, she was one of the uh, uh, original scream queens of the '80s. She was in a lot of horror films. That one, and uh, a lot of nude shots for her in her films, but a lot of dying in these these cheesy horror films. Mm. So she she's a veteran of those kind of films. And you got to think of it. She's sitting there, I guess, you know, middle of the night, people pouring rain on top of her the entire time. And she's sitting there wearing basically nothing. Um, the uh, Her front piece was a, 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 a prosthetic, though, her Barbie prosthetic. So, you know, to keep it from being too filthy. Yeah. But, um, yeah, but, uh, but that's like, I don't know. I How much would you have to get paid to do that? Like, how much would you you know, need to be paid to do that. Like, I don't know. Being wet and cold and miserable is one thing, but have to do that being butt naked in front of everybody as well. And have that go on screen. I don't know. Man, it's called acting. <laughs> yes. Different <laughs> <laughs> times. Oh, yeah. It's but, you know, hey. there was, is. But there was male nudity in there, too. You had the yellow guy. Right. Yeah, that's the same. The bald yellow guy, the cadaver from the beginning. You know that was that was a moment too when when they stabbed him in the head and he still was With alive. The pickaxe? Oh yeah. Yeah, I was like, oh shoot, <laughs> you know, I was like I expect him, you know, because we're so used to in the head they're dead, and then yep. he was still they, and then they had to burn him and that, you know. Well, no, the worst part is the first thing they did after they realized the pickaxe. So what do they do? They grab a saw and start cutting the head, and it, I have to say that's probably one of the most disgusting sounding. Um, special effects where they have the guy screaming and he suddenly he's getting this kind of gurgly bubbly sound as the saw is going through his neck and it's like oh this is I mean, that turned my stomach it's like, a, it's like okay I'm well done sound department I love uh, when they capture the one and then they have like what do you want and they're like actually communicating with it 
Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Though I, I don't know. Can you communicate without lips? She yeah, has no we, lips. We, we, so we were all talking, talking about the fact that she has no voice box. Yeah, like, <laughs> like some of these. Like apparently, if you look at the graveyard, some of these guys are supposed to be from the 1890s. I'm going. Those are really well preserved corpses. Hey man, they, hey, they they don't play when it comes to the way they take care of bodies in that town. So, you know, you know the the saddest scene in this entire movie was it had nothing to do with the the, the poor zombies. It had to do with the I, I've never seen uh, a zombie or somebody who's churning do sort of the the suicide by oven thing. Oh yes, in in such a I mean, it was actually mournful. It, I, 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 I don't know. There was something about that scene that really got to me a lot. And you say he's in the sequels? How if he burnt himself? Well, he, they play different characters. Oh, who have the exact same shit happening to them? <laughs> so they become zombies again, but they do slightly different twists on what happens. But, um, yeah. but uh, so the originally um, that character was supposed. Um, was supposed to be standing outside looking at the missiles when they're coming in. And he said, I, I don't want to be standing around in the rain. How about this? <laughs> How about my guy kills himself in the oven? And then, okay, that sounds good. And so they, they did that. And so they did one throwaway line where he sits and goes, I could operate that thing. And they go, okay, there you go. There's your setup. And then go. But it works. It really works. And his scream is pretty good, too, inside the oven there when it's going... Well, he was uh, cold, so he wasn't cold anymore, right? Sorry, what was that? I missed that. No, I said he was cold, so I guess he ain't cold yeah. anymore. No, no, no. No, but <laughs> no, but but probably the worst thing is that he now is, has perpetuated more zombies. So in the act of killing himself, he's probably just you know become well. Up no, in that's the more, and... I think that would have been still more localized. So they've already reigned over that area. So I think they'd already used up all that kind. of... It's oh, is that when they nuked the it. The pseudoscience so, is really confusing. <laughs> so you think about it, it was the nuke that spread it over a farther area, right? So that's what that's the thing. So the chimney was only localized. So that's why it owned the graveyard. Well, just in case grave. there wasn't enough magic uh zombie dust juice, he added <laughs> a little bit more into the ether. So if there was some if there was some dead bodies that didn't wake up, I'm sure with his burning, it, you know, the rest got on up. Yeah. You got to give them credit, though. They really did try, especially with the zombie on the table. They really did try to give some kind of uh, uh, narrative function to explaining what the zombies were after and why they were after it and how it was the only way that they felt anything. I mean, (laughs) I actually give them some credit for that because that was pretty ingenious. I mean, uh, nobody else come, had come at it at all from the perspective of, well, what do the zombies want? <laughs> my favorite bit, though, is like how they do it, where she says, you know, it's the pain. What? The pain of being dead. And the guy looks and says, apparently it's painful to be dead. <laughs> or it hurts to be dead. <laughs> it's like, okay. All right. It hurts to be dead. And brains make you feel better. How do you know that? You don't. I guess it's an instinctual thing, right? With zombies, it's like you wake up and go, oh, it hurts. The only thing I can think of is brains will probably make me feel better. 
Yeah, my my uh, my kid said that maybe they were trying to like eat the memories of people, and so that's the only thing that they could get to was even though it didn't work, at least it made them feel better for a short time. Uh, I think it's just going after the uh, endorphins. Just a quick fix off the old brain there. That's funny. I love how you guys gave it so much thought, though. <laughs> more more than probably the uh, the actual writers did. Yeah. They just said, yeah, they eat brains. Why? Uh, it makes them feel better. Okay, good. Next scene. <laughs> I don't know. When she's strapped to the table, though, there's something, God, there's something so just, it, it's, I, I mean, it's comic, but there is something so depressing about being <laughs> a zombie that basically just wants to eat your brain telling you that they're in yeah. so much pain well and also the little spine yes and it's like you know, leaking fluid too and it's yeah. like oh. and then you <laughs> yes. hear it like clank against the table i was like that that was pretty dope i mean that's it, yeah i think that's it was the moaning it was just the uh, like like somebody who's really in pain yeah, they did a really good job with the with those like the hero zombies that they had in this. I think they did a great job with every one of them. Um, like, I mean, you, tar you if you think of zombie films, you know, you're gonna remember the Tar Man. You're gonna remember the the half zombie on the table. I mean, just and just the, the little things like uh, the the uh, one guy that with the uh, missing legs. You know where he comes. Where oh the, the yeah, paramedic opens up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sees the guy. I was like, oh no, it was uh, it was Ernie who sees him, and he starts chasing me. And I, and I realize I'm looking, at going, those are like two little bone nubs. Like, oh my god, that guy's got no legs. Oh, just freaky. And it's just like, Wait, it's... you know, we we should definitely just like quickly touch on that the the, the whole paramedic scene because that <laughs> that scene made everybody that was watching the movie with me just laugh for a good five minutes. I mean, they were like taking each other's pulses going, yep, you're dead. Yep, you're dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, no, my favorite fabulous. is, is your stethoscope working? I'm not getting anything. Is what? And somebody do. They go switch sides. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's see. You've got no blood pressure, no pulse, no pupillary reaction in your room temperature. Technically, you're dead. <laughs> well, I don't mean but you're dead because you know, dead people don't talk. So what would you guys do? Okay, this is just you know purely not saying we're going to put you in Night of the Living Dead, but if somebody came by and told you you were dead. What do you even think that you would think? <laughs> well, that's a good question, uh, because apparently through the whole thing they were in so much pain through that whole thing, right? So yeah. all they're thinking was, I'm, I'm feeling sick. I'm in pain. I want to get out of here. You know, I, I would be thinking. I would think. Yeah. I would think. Oh, so that means I don't have to pay taxes anymore. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Just, oh, it hurts. It hurts, but I don't have to pay taxes. But that uh, is kind of cool. That the way that they were in pain and that they were carrying on, it was kind of validating what we were hearing from the zombie. But we were kind of well, getting yeah. it from the perspective of yeah. someone. Yeah, I, I, I thought that, that it was cool. The, the, that was actually probably one of my top moments was them finding out that they were dead. I thought it was... <laughs> but it's just it, it's just so thoroughly funny how they react to things because it's almost one of those... 
you know, it's so depressing that all you can do is laugh, and that was what it kind of projected in the uh, in, you know, in the movie. It's like, because uh. when he says they're dead, you know how he goes, oh, you know that little. Well, I think oh, my favorite part is where the guy says, I, 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 I think it's rigor mortis, and Tommy's like, rigor mortis. <laughs> <laughs> What do you mean? <laughs> that is funny, Scuds. You're dead, man. You're dead. <laughs> He's the only one who's oh, willing to see it, too. The, yeah. the dumbest of them all is the one who's willing. You guys are dead. <laughs> Nobody wants to admit it. Oh, but I'll tell you, it's like... They, I was listening to Dan O'Bannon's um, commentary. Because one criticism that he got from some of the guys was the amount of screaming and yelling. And he says... Says, you know what? I, I, he says he defends that. He says if you go to buy a burn ward, you know, people in pain, that's what they do is they they scream. They they need you know, that's how they get you know attention and everything. And that's how the pain that they're in. They're screaming. He says that's what it's like. So these guys are in immense pain. And it's like oh, that's kind of now we're laughing at him, but it's like oh, that's that's a terrible thought. So so it's kind of interesting that the director chose to do hyper realism for just that one aspect. Yes, but being dead is the most painful thing. It's like you figure it wouldn't be painful. Coming back, I guess, would be painful. But you know, agreed. <laughs> I, I'm just surprised. But there was sometimes like there were some things I go, oh, okay, come on. When they go, oh, what about the bones? And what? Like, That's just silly. The bones aren't going to do anything. We saw the skeletons in that place. They didn't come after. But they have a scene where the bloody set of bones pop out of the ground and have eyes on them and, you know, we're kind of going, okay, all right. If it weren't funny, I'd have to I'd go, this is where I'm just saying, hey, I, I no longer believe in these dead guys coming back to life and eating brains. <laughs> that's, the point, that's the point where I just can't believe this anymore. <laughs> you know, see, you know what I think that was so genius about this, in, 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 and it just kind of like ties everything all together, is that the way that, that whatever that chemical is that basically brought Triumph them to life in the first place is like, I mean, it's just such a, it's such a magic wand of pretty it much is. anything that it basically, you could say anything is happening and yeah. Okay, fine. There's chemical that makes that happen. Sure. I'm totally Jim down that, for it. That water and instant zombie. I, I kind of love that. I, I think that was actually pretty brilliant. You know, one, just a one of my, also another favorite scene is when they have the police blockade and it's like oh, yes. tons of police officers and they get overrun and it's just like damn <laughs> you know like oh man <laughs> I like the one bit where the police officer is doing the choke hold on one guy and the head comes off <laughs> <laughs> it's like okay <laughs> so some of these guys are a little squishier than others oh man it's, yeah and so what do you guys think about the soundtrack well that's another little problem um there's been songs that have been cut from because of rights issues that are not on the later of the DVD cuts. Oh. So there's a um, a song by, is it The Cramps or who is it? Uh, I cannot, the Deadbeat Dance is the first song that you hear when you see the uh, the punks for the first time in the driving. And it's a, it's a great little song and it's got high energy. And when you watch it with the sort of, Gen, uh, generic kind of punk music they throw on and over top of it now. It's like, oh, it's just not the same. It'd be like watching a James Bond film and finding out, you know, they take out the original themes music because they don't have the rights to it anymore and play something that sounds sort of James Bondish. Oh. You're like, mm, that's not right. 
Hmm. See, I didn't even know that. Uh, no, I mm-hmm. mean, I thought it was cool, the, the sound. I thought... What I mean, I, there's, what there's, I some, there's a lot of it still intact, mm-hmm. and it's great. I mean, the actual music, the, the, the theme music, you know, when the the chemical starts activating, you know, the, the main theme and every time that it starts doing it. I love that one. So they didn't do like a George Lucas, uh, like just change it up. They just, it just was because of the rights. Basically. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You know, I, I, I'm curious. I, I just, I want to get your at least take on something. Why do you think that this movie was so incredibly, why has it become sort of the cult classic that it is? You know what? I, for me, I, I think the reason is us. You know, people in that, you know, like in that age range. Because I know when I watched it, it was just one of those, you know, I was young. Um, um, as I mentioned earlier, I was getting ready to go into my teenagers. I think I was 12 years old or something um, when this movie came out. The movie came out, it's 85, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, 85, 84, yeah. 85. Okay. So, you know, I was just, you know, kind of crossing over. But I, I, I just think that people can really appreciate that you get a lot of different things out of it. You get some things that make you think. You get some things that are funny. You get some things that are hilarious. You get some things that are kind of sad. You get you get a little bit of everything in this movie. I think it provides everything, which uh, lended to its staying power. There's there's also, I think, the aspect of, uh, of sort of... Uh, throwback to practical effects because the practical effects have actually stood up really well over time. I mean, there's some, you know, there's some pretty obvious stuff going on, but it's not like, you know, you're not watching uh, Ray Harryhausen or something where (laughs) it doesn't look like it's actually, they've actually done or they did a really good job at the time of incorporating things that don't date the movie to the point that it's unwatchable. And, to me, that kind of makes. I think that's why my kids really liked it too, because it didn't fall apart just because it was an older version of a zombie movie. It, it like it actually kind of held together. You know, yeah, uh, I think they made it for four million, and I think the box office ended up being fourteen, so they tripled it up. And um, I thought that they definitely did a job of what they had, and I think that's one of the reasons why um, they picked their spots where they did certain things, you know? So uh, we were mentioning earlier about how, um, you know, the one zombie, we see it at the beginning and then we don't see it for most of the movie. And then, you know, you know, it pops back up at the end. Uh, they used it well with, you know, just kind of separating things out and utilizing what they had. But I, I, I don't know. Do y'all think in 85, I mean, 4 million, you know, that was, wasn't just a little bit of change though for a movie. Yeah, you know, that's respectful. For a horror movie. Yeah, I mean, horror movies are generally done on the cheap anyway back then. Like, the only ones that were had a lot of money pouring into them were uh, things like uh, John Carpenter's The Thing um, and the Friday the 13th movies where Paramount was backing those. So Paramount was putting their big money into them because they were making, they weren't putting a lot in there. But they're putting enough production value that they could, you know, look better than the cheaper stuff and break in as much as they could. But, yeah, generally speaking, horror films, they got, you know, next to nothing as far as budgets went. Okay, let me let me ask, ask this question. We live in a world of reboots and remakes and all of that stuff. Uh, do you think Hollywood would ever try to reboot it? And what do you think they I would do? Not. What do you think they would try to do with it? They've done three sequels, each progressively worse than the other. <laughs> um, 
I, I can't see how that would work. I, I think everything for this movie worked for its time. Like the whole punk aesthetic, the, uh, the, the practical effects, the, everything that was going on, the way that the, the military dealt with it with the nuke and everything, that's the kind of thing we deal you know, was definitely an 80s kind of solution. Um, it, it's, it was very much of its time. It, it works because, you know, it, it was its own thing, right? It didn't want to be a Romero zombie film, which was what the only template they had at the time was. So it made its own kind of niche. We're going to have our dead run. We're going to have it so that they're indestructible. Um, and, you know, they eat brains and they talk. And so they did their own thing. They had their own look. It has, you know, great you know, look to it, great feel, great atmosphere. I, I, you can't reproduce it. You can't reproduce it. I mean, you do a remake, what's it going to be? What are they going to do that's different? You know, I mean, they've done the zombie genre to death now. Um, I, I can't see them putting anything into this that would make it fresh or interesting or new. I agree. I agree, but you know I mean, Hollywood, they'll try I mean, anything. I mean, the worst the worst they could do is they decide, oh, you know what we're going to do? We're going to find, okay, so they did uh, punk back then. What's popular now? Oh, uh, let's make it hip-hop, so it'll be zombies in the hood. And it's like, okay, oh, God, now no. you know it's going to be really bad because every time they try to do that with a film, they do the worst things they could possibly, like, they, I don't know, anyone seen Leprechaun in the Hood? Wait a minute, that's a classic. What you talking about? Not sure. I'm you know, only kidding. Anyone but that's, who's listening that's, to this. this is what Hollywood would do. This is how they, they, they view it. They don't look at things in a creative way. They look at things of being what I sells, think they, they might try popular. to make it more serious and it wouldn't work. No. Yeah, it's not exactly. And that's the thing. It's like it, this film works because it doesn't take itself seriously. I mean... You know, I, I, I think you could do <clears throat> I think you could do uh, in a in a similar way that Cabin in the Woods did sort of, you know, the, the, the let's look at this retrospectively. I think you could figure out how to do it that way. But it would take somebody but it would take somebody who has a, a real a, a different kind of uh, look into this instead of somebody just trying to do an adaptation of it. Like, I think yep. you'd actually have to sort of do something retrospective of 80s-style plus zombies. Yeah, and it's, you know, it. I, I don't understand the, the need to keep bringing out the 80s stuff again and, and rehashing it, because it's not the 80s. It's a different time. I mean, that's, God, how many years now? <laughs> Almost 40 years So. And that we'll be getting into like the 40th anniversary of 1980. It's like, oh my god! It's like that time is long gone. It was a different era, you know. When these guys are running around trying to find a phone for most of this movie, which is what they're doing, you notice they're running place to place to find a phone. You can't do that nowadays because everybody's got a phone on them, right? It's the kind of you know you can't create this kind of thing again. But, but it was the <laughs> best of times. Oh, I mean, yeah, no, it yeah, there's no real. There's no comparison. The '80s as a decade. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, you know, there, there was a lot. I mean, think about though 1985 in itself. Just think about all the uh, all the movies that oh, yeah. came out. Back to the Future, mm-hmm. uh, Return of the Living Dead, of course, Enemy Mine. Uh, you know, Mad Max Beyond the Thunderdome, Rocky Four, Pee Wee Herman, Day uh, of the Dead. Yep, Teen Wolf. Uh, oh, Teen Wolf. <laughs> yeah, Rambo Part Two, Goonies. Uh, 
Um, Legend, Weird Science, which is, hey, when I tell you there's something that's close to my heart, it's that movie. Weird you Science? Know? Yeah, Weird Science. That's that's was totally my jam. But there was a lot of great stuff. So the fact that all those movies came out um, and Return of the Living Dead still Breakfast stands Club out, too. I think that says a lot. Because, I mean, Fright Night isn't something that people talk about. Breakfast, <laughs> well, Breakfast, well, Breakfast well, Club. And, and, there's also, I mean, I really believe this, right? There, there was a, a group of sort of voracious media consumers during the 80s. And now those people have all kind of grown up into becoming uh, or, or into the, the people who actually spend money on a lot more media, too. Yeah. And the, there's a reason that Stranger Things does all of these throwbacks to the 80s and stuff. It's mm-hmm. because it becomes, it's not just nostalgic, it's there is a certain resonance that it just meets with people that feels comfortable and especially people that like this kind of genre it just feels really it feels like oh yeah this is the right niche actually but, when you mentioned stranger things there's actually a mall um you know down here you know in atlanta that was kind of run down and they've kind of refurbished it for that movie and it's pretty cool it's like the 80s it's, it's pretty dope <laughs> nice. like the late you know like the late 80s type mall is pretty dope well i'll tell you every decade has its 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 nostalgia moments like in the 1970s the big thing for them was the 1950s they had this huge throwback if you look at it, uh, a lot of stuff that was going on in the 70s your happy days laverne and shirley's and all that where everything was about the 1950s um uh, just before that um george lucas's um oh my god i cannot remember his non-star wars film um, American Graffiti and stuff like that were all throwbacks to the set, to the 1950s, and that was like a huge thing there. In the 80s, the 60s were very popular. If you look at that, was the resurgence. They brought back, uh, they re-released Beatles stuff and everything like that, and they brought back videos from that and everything. So every decade has its, you know, let's look back 20 years and you know and, and be fond of it and look at it and. There's there's always that nostalgia thing. It's oh, it's a simpler time. It's a different time. We'll remember these things and what we had then, and look at it now, and it's so different. I don't know if it's going to happen anymore, though, because now we live in a period of like constant nostalgia, where everything's about nostalgia, and so you're doing recreations or anything. So what are you going to look back twenty years from now? Are you going to look at which remake you liked best? Right, but I, but I, but I think that that actually speaks to why they, why the '80s have this sort of enduring legacy power. But also, just exactly what you said is that as as those twenty year increments go by, people mm-hmm. who don't have sort of the biggest economic power end up with the biggest economic power, and so they drive a lot of the content because hey, we'll we'll build it for this demographic; they'll go see it. So it it mm-hmm. works that way. But the '80s is weird because the '80s now has sort of a almost a 30-year legacy yeah. as opposed to a 20-year legacy. And that is actually, I think, a, a little bit different. So you're right. It is a little bit. In a constant time of nostalgia. Yeah, and but now we've, yeah, I think we're in nostalgia overloads to the point where I, what are you going to say is unique about, let's say, this decade, that people are going to look back on this decade and say, oh, this is what I remember from this decade, you know, that stood out. I don't know. There's a few things, not much. Maybe the found footage films, but that's going back to the 90s, so nothing big there. Um, television doesn't is not the same as what it used to be, where everyone would watch the same shows. Now it's all, you know, 
bits and pieces. I guess it'll be memes. That's one of the good things about this show having a 1990 cutoff is that, you know, we won't have to be uh, inundated with uh, covering that stuff. So... Uh, but, hmm, I wonder. I wonder how that got in there. That uh, that cut off. <laughs> All right. So uh, I, I think we got to. Uh, we should get to uh, this section of the show that we call um, uh, movies that make the meal. Uh, I know that you have uh, something good for us. Uh, okay. Again. So <clears throat> this week in movies that make the meal, I actually did uh, a uh, a kind of tribute to the tar man zombie and <laughs> i made a very ooey gooey tar man hot chocolate and it's super easy to do it takes a little bit of patience but it's real easy and we actually just enjoyed this the night before last and really it? really loved it so <laughs> and and we all sat around and talked 100 percent about zombie brains so it, it really does work Get in the mood, make some hot chocolate, and Kinte, you're going to post that link. Oh yeah, it's in. It's already in the show notes. Uh, tell there us, uh, tell us what's what it consists of. Uh, the 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 hot chocolate. Yeah. Well, it's a basic hot chocolate. I mean, it's not you know, there's nothing super special. It's just basic uh, hot cocoa and um, and you make the the thing that makes the that makes this so good is really the chocolate tar because the chocolate tar is something that most people don't make on their hot chocolate they'll use you know maybe some chocolate syrup or whatever but when you really pare down and let that uh, chocolate syrup get a little bit more uh, caramelized it ends up being really thick stuff so it makes your hot chocolate taste uh, a lot, not just richer, but it makes it, it gives it that sort of decadent taste to it. I guarantee that that's not the way that it would taste if you were to lick Tar Man. I, Pretty sure. I would hope yeah. no one would freaking lick Tar I'm Man. just going out on a limb, but I, I'm pretty sure now that's not what it would taste I, I would like. hope that no one would lick Tar Man, but, uh, uh, I don't know. I had my thoughts. <laughs> you're <laughs> no, I creepy. Didn't. <laughs> You're creepy. <laughs> oh, boy. I just had to throw that out there because of my love for, you know, non-human humans. Yes, yes, yes. All right, so the the links are in the show notes, and you can uh, check out how to make that dish. All right, and for those who may, may not know, uh, just once again, tell them about the segment. Well, Movies Make the Meal, is it's an ongoing project for me. Um, I'm still uploading recipes. It's, it's definitely a labor of love. But basically what I've done is paired together the movies that I <clears throat> have really liked or that people have uh, requested meals for and put them together uh, or put movies together with those the meal. I'm sorry, the other way around. I put meals together with movies that people really like. Uh, in fact, we have something coming up for a bunch of different uh, upcoming shows, different theme nights. We just finished doing The Walking Dead, where we have a zombie meatloaf and a couple of other sort of uh, really gross sausage stuff, but it's, it came out really awesome. So it's, it, it's ongoing. There's stuff being developed constantly. Just bear with me. Okay. All right. So uh, at this point, let's get to our, our scores. And uh, uh, King Penguin... Uh, Tell tell the audience how the scoring works and what we vote on and, and all of that stuff. 
Uh-oh, did we lose you, King? Are you on mute? I am. Sorry. I uh -huh. was just talking to myself here this entire time. Uh -huh. Can you hear me now? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes, we do have our scores, which are based on uh, a couple of different uh, categories. Uh, first of all, it being the production quality, which is basically the overall look and feel of the film. Is it cheap? Is it tawdry? Is it well made? Is it, uh, you know, does it, uh, does it look like a big budget film with a small budget? Does it look like a piece of garbage with a large budget? Who knows? But this is the thing we're going to rate. We got to look at the story. Then we look at acting and, of course, the overall entertainment value. And then we rate those all up to see whether it's a film that's Limburger or Gouda is the, the ranking somewhere in between those two spaces. Um, I also want to make note of one small thing before we do that. I, I forgot one note, which I had here. I kept forgetting, which says TV jacket. Um, you may notice that uh, Tommy had a jacket on in the lighter part of the film with the uh, lovely inscription, fuck you on the back. Right. Well, they also had to make a television version uh, to go on, you know, for television. They would cut. So they reshot some scenes where he wears a jacket and on the back says TV version. <laughs> and so great. you can see which ones it is by what he's got written on the back of his uh, jacket. Anyways, with that being said, uh, let's uh, go through and rank the films. Uh, who wants to go first? Uh, Jen, Jen, you want to go first? Sure. Okay. So for the first, um, and I guess this is production value, I gave it an eight. I definitely liked it. Um, the story, I gave a six. Uh, I mean, it was good, but it wasn't anything, you know. Yeah. Uh, let's see. The acting, <clears throat> the acting, I only gave a five. I, I, I'm not saying that, like, they didn't do it on purpose, but it just didn't quite. It, you could tell that it wasn't as serious as it probably maybe even should have been. But overall entertainment value, I gave a 10. I would watch this movie a thousand times and not be bored with it. <laughs> so you gave it a 10. Okay. Alright. Uh, well, yeah. I guess I'll go ahead and you know what, I'll, I'll go ahead and dive, dive in our production. Um, I'm going to give it about an eight as well. I thought that they did good with the amount of funds that they had. And I thought that everything that they did, you know, worked enough for me to enjoy it um, a whole lot. Um, story. I mean, I, I'll give it a five, but there were moments. Um, one of the things that we were mentioning, talking about, you know, the, the undead or the zombies actually telling you why they're doing something. So you actually know, you know why that they're doing it. So I give the story about a, um, about a five, the acting, I'm going to give a six because I, it's just the goofiness, you know, it, it just, that pulls at my heartstrings. And I agree with you, Jen. It's one of my, well, it's actually my favorite, you know, horror movie. Um, I mentioned this to y'all before. It's just that I've always enjoyed it. I've watched it a ton. Um, I can never not, I could never not watch it. You know, it just makes me happy. So I'm going to give it a 10 as well. All right. 10. All right. All right. I'll go next. Um, production value. It's a $4 million film. Um, and you'd think they did a lot of stuff on location. No, most of that stuff was all created uh, sets and everything. And like even the graveyard itself, none of that was real. Uh, they did such a good job that there's stuff there, little touches here that look really great. Um, 
even the crematorium was just a fake facade they created. In fact, it got so hot that the metal sheet that they had, that the tray actually melted in the thing because, you know, they could only put together tin. So I'm going to give it a little bit higher for production value because I think they took the money that they had, they stretched it out and made it, like, awesome. I mean, we're talking about uh, the tar man, the zombies there, the effect of the uh, the jar, uh, the canister opening and the melting face. You know, we know it's wax and everything, but such a well-done job. Uh, I'm going to give it a, a seven on production value. Um, story, I'm going to give it a six. It moves. It, it knows where it's going. Yeah, it's the typical run here, run there, you know, try to get to the phone. But it, it sort of knew where it was going. It was just saying, yeah, no matter what these guys do, it doesn't matter. They're all dead anyway. And it, and that's, that's sort of this nihilistic uh, punk attitude that the thing had. Um, acting, yeah, a six on that one as well. And uh, I love the overacting, though. But, uh, you know, let's face facts, it's none of its Academy Award winning stuff. And there's a bit of stuff where you could see overdubs had to be done and even they don't work. Uh, and the overall entertainment value is a solid nine. Uh, this is one of my favorite comedy horror films because it actually works. There have been quite a few comedy horror films that fall flat. They don't know how to to balance things well enough this one definitely does and always entertains it moves there's not a moment there where i'm sitting there going okay come on get get to the next point i i'm enjoying every minute that you know there's something happening on screen all right okay so with me um when it comes to production quality i give it an eight i thought uh you know like i said for four million dollar budget in 1985 it was. I thought it was really good. Very well done. Uh, story. I gave it a seven just because uh, I gave it actually a little better than I think most of everybody else. Just because um, they, you know, they had the Night of the Living Dead, and this just kind of took it in another direction. This, you know, and I, I just kind of I enjoyed that. Uh, I gave the acting. Uh, I gave an act, the acting a seven as well because. The acting was cheesy as hell and corny, but it fit what you know what was required of them, and I thought they just did a great job playing what they were doing, you know. And um, the guy um, who who does suicide by oven, uh, <laughs> I just <laughs> loved him so much, and he's a great actor. And I just thought, you know, I I just thought that uh, his performance in it just had me in stitches. Just the way that he did it, you know, and uh, and Clue as well. So I, I so I gave it a seven, and overall entertainment value, I gave it a nine. So um, so those are my scores. So uh, doing the the tally, uh, we'll start off with uh, with um, Yardley. Yardley gave it a score of twenty nine when you add everything up. Uh, Jen gave it a twenty seven. I gave it the highest score, which is thirty one. And, uh-oh, wait, give me a second. And King gave the film a uh, 28. So the overall total is 115. So um, 115 puts it uh, in our, uh, you know, Cinema de Fromage season two uh, tally it gives it the leading 
uh, so far <laughs> after the two. <laughs> <laughs> so it beat last week's is what you're saying. Right, you're pretty much. Uh, Omega Man got a 91. Uh, and Cinema de Fromage, uh, I'm sorry, um, uh, Return of the Living Dead, it got 815. So while you guys are talking, I will find out what that percentage okay. is on the cheese meter. Okay, now, uh, also forgot to do the, uh, we have a one sentence description of the film is what you should do afterwards by saying, Return of the Living Dead is, and in your own words, how you would describe the film to somebody with one sentence. So, why, Jen, why, why don't you start with that one? Because we forgot to do that at the end. Of the I'm sorry, I totally missed you. Remember, we have to do our one-word description of the film. Oh, one-word description. So, so it starts off with Return of the Living Dead is... And there you go. How awesome. You <laughs> Just, there you go. Awesome. Simplest. Yep, that's mine. Sorry, Yardley. <laughs> All yeah. right. Well, Return of the Living Dead is satisfying. <laughs> Return of the Living Dead is what brains are to the dead. They take the pain away. <laughs> <laughs> I would say Return the Return of the Living Dead is is uh pure eighties uh zombie uh, wonderfulness and it gets a 71% on the cheese meter Ooh. So. take that rotten tomatoes yeah so Charlton Heston can suck it right <laughs> <laughs> don't worry he'll be back <laughs> oh that's right no huh no, no conquest not, right uh, I, I, we haven't announced everything for this this season Oh, okay. All right, all right. He makes a guest appearance in The Warriors. Just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cameo. Cameo in The Warriors. He plays the, 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 um, the Hestons, that terrifying New York gang. <laughs> so let's start Speaking off. Of oh, wit, go, ahead. go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, so we're going to let everyone know next week what is our film for next week. Is The Warriors uh, a oh, classic. Oh, are y'all bopping y'all's way into people's hearts? Yes. Can you dig it? Oh wow! Great, yes. that's what's up. And that I is... have something really special for the Warriors. I gave yeah. this one a lot of thought. So now the, <laughs> it better have some baseball. Fury now I didn't come up with this as the the movie. It was King, but the Warriors is one of my favorite movies. I have it on Blu-ray. I've seen it a, a bunch of times. I just love that film. So uh, I even had the video game. So. Can't uh, find it though. They, I, I don't gonna... they need to bring that out on a new system? The the <laughs> Warriors, right? Because <laughs> that was the first Xbox, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah I actually, you know, I wanted to play it before the, you know, since we're about to do it, and I'm gonna do my rewatch coming up. I really don't have to because I've seen it so much, but I, any excuse to watch the Warriors. So I'm already biased. <laughs> so, and then in two weeks, we're uh, we're going back to. Uh, well, not Charlton Heston, but we're going to the Apes with Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. So stay tuned for those ones and more fun to come. Mm-hmm. Oh, our special yeah. guest next week is uh, is Tachi. So, uh, yeah, so she's uh, going to come in and chop it up with us and talk some Warriors. She's a, a Warriors fan, is she? Um, you know what? We didn't talk about that. She's a movie fan. She, and she will does, be. She <laughs> does reviews. and she, she Now, she has a review show that she does. 
where they go back to like like fifties and up. So yeah, they they really go deep, you know. So yeah, so but it, uh, yeah, it should be great. She's a great guest. All right, so uh, let's start off with Yardley. How can we get you in social media, and uh, uh, what should we be on the lookout for when it comes to you? You can follow me on Twitter at militant underscore marker and. The next Creeping It Real show, we are going to be reviewing the movie Hereditary. I'm going to go and check it out. Um, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I really, I have to. I was supposed to have checked it out. Um, I think it came out last week or the weekend that just passed. And uh, I just not a, never got a chance to. And seeing as it's my topic, I guess I have to go, <laughs> have to go and uh, watch it. So just tune in to Creeping You're It gonna Real You're going to like show. it. Oh, you yeah. I'm going to like it. Uh, I'm actually the last one. Um, Chrissy and Moni have already seen it, and um, both of them have been kind of chatting without any spoilers in this thread that we have going on. So um, I'm excited to check it out. And but it seems like I'm gonna have to really, what is it like two and a half hours or something? Uh, yeah, it's a it's a good long yeah, movie. You know, it goes by point. in a heartbeat though. Okay, that's what's up. So uh, that'll be our topic on the next podcast, and you can find us on iTunes. All right, Jen. Uh, you can catch me on Twitter <clears throat> at following bliss one and you can check out my blog at uh, critical laughs with two L's dot com. I also do movie stuff and mostly TV stuff, but lots of movie stuff too. Uh, and of course, movies make the meal dot com. Right. And uh, uh, King. Oh, you know me. I'm nowhere and everywhere all at once. I'm watching not putting out much but uh you'll find me here next week so watch <laughs> for that watch for that okay all right well, listen uh-huh. take your pick <laughs> <laughs> all right and uh you can get me at kente f on twitter as well as you can go to our website indyradio.org that's indy radio.org uh next week we will be back uh me yardley and uh jen because we're going to be uh, continuing our Black Sales uh, series retrospective. So uh, all a bunch of good stuff coming up and very excited about it. And you guys have a great rest of your week. Uh, we'll catch you next time right here on Indie Radio. God bless. The mighty Blue Marlin. You've battled for two solid hours. He jumps again. He's almost at the side of the boat. It's the moment of truth. Because there's never been a better time to test drive the 2018 Mercedes-Benz GLC. With a smooth 9-speed transmission, it loves to run. Set course for your authorized Mercedes-Benz dealer. Visit MBUSA.com slash GLC to learn more. Mercedes-Benz, the best or nothing.